So then with our young leaders, we work on that and we work on that integrity. And then we talk about ways that they can make that work. Because a lot of times people aren't true to their word, not because they don't care, not because they don't get it, but they don't have a good structure in their phone now to keep them reminded or, or different structures that can support them for doing it or reminders or maybe an accountability buddy to keep them reminded of their goals and their plans. Hey everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, the show where each week we tackle the most complex issues related to work and culture. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at bentohr.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. In today's episode, we chat with Chris Thompson, the head coach of the Student Works Management Program, an immersive development opportunity where full-time students learn the practical skills necessary for business leadership and then apply those skills by operating their own home services businesses, everything from painting, cleaning, and whatever else their customers need over the summer break. But really, Chris is in the business of identifying and developing the next generation of business leaders something he's exceptionally passionate about. And with an ambitious goal to develop 1,000 millionaires, not only to realize their own financial independence, but to create 1,000 unique economic engines, Chris believes the time has never been better to run your own business. And I'm inclined to agree. The days of ironclad job security in the largest of corporate entities is over. The world is changing. And while many successful enterprises today will pivot and succeed, Others won't. And they have a lot to learn from entrepreneurial ventures like Student Works Management. They're a coaching organization first, and they focus on their colleagues' full selves. Discussions around integrity and performance and service, they're commonplace in the organization, though not only in an employment context. Chris believes that how you show up with your friends and your family and your colleagues outside of work is of equal importance. And we agree on that as well. And this program is developing leaders of tomorrow with a clear understanding of the business principles necessary for success. We had a really great conversation about his journey to student works, what he's learned in the 30 plus years that he's been in that organization and what he envisions for the future for him, his business, though, most importantly, the network of young leaders who look to him for guidance, support, and mentorship. As I mentioned, we had a really great chat, and I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, Chris Thompson. Chris, you're a seasoned pro when it comes to podcasts, so I feel very comfortable with you today. I think, first off, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you, Matt. I'm excited about being here and having this conversation. Well, you have a great voice for podcasts too, Chris. Have you heard that before? I have. I have. I've got a great radio voice. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, I've also been told that I have a good voice and I promise you, I also have a face for radio. So that just works out well that we're doing a podcast today. So Chris, before we get into the meat of our conversation, which I know for a fact is going to be a great conversation, maybe walk us through a bit about your background, your experiences and what led you to uh, us today. 
Yeah, so I was a swimmer very early on in my life and throughout university. So one of the big things for me was I wanted to make money. I wanted to become financially independent and I couldn't get normal jobs. So it led me to discover that probably the best thing to do was to go work around the neighborhood and shovel snow, cut lawns. And so I very quickly determined that, hey, I could do this entrepreneur thing. And so early on in university, I discovered a, a brand which became the Student Works Management Program. And I love the idea of developing leaders. I became a successful leader in the program. Eventually, I got to be a partner. And then I bought the business outright in 1993. And really, I've spent my life you know, as a coach, as an entrepreneur, and really developing amazing student leaders. And I'm curious... Why that? Because, you know, it sounds like your life has largely been around you being a self-starter, you being somebody who seizes opportunities. When I hear professional swimmer, I think competition, I think about that. Why this? Of all the paths you could have chosen for yourself, why is this one stuck? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, when I was in, um, you know, around that d time you decide, you know, what my path was going to be, I, I remember I'd had, you know, a really some successful teachers who made an impact. And I liked the, the idea of teaching. And I, and I had three amazing coaches who were national team coaches. And I really loved how they inspired to get the best out of me. And then I loved the idea of being an entrepreneur and being paid what you're worth. And to me, all of those three things came together in this opportunity. And But really probably, I, I think back to went my first year of operating, or maybe it was my second year of operating, and we were all hanging around having a beer, you know, and on, on a Friday afternoon. And I can just remember seeing the people who were doing what I was doing, and I was telling people, can you imagine what a difference this is going to make in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years and how this learning this so early in our lives is going to be so powerful. And I'm just sure that the other 19, 20 year olds, 21 year olds were just probably just, Hey, Chris, you know, just relax, you know, how the Blue Jays doing or, or, you know, or whatever, you know, and, but I was just really, really passionate about it. And that passion has just continued to really feed my world. And I did have early success in terms of being able to to be successful, not enormously, but, you know, in the context of, you know, I made good money. And so it was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I won't make as much as some of my, my friends who were going to Wall Street or Bay Street, but hey, I'll love what I do. And that seems to be a really smart, smart strategy. And frankly, a strategy that's ahead of its time. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about purpose offline and it seems like that's one of the many buzzwords of 2020, 2021. I'm sure it'll be the same. This right. idea of finding your purpose has a currency to it today that it didn't once have 5, 10, 15 years ago. Why was purpose so important to you so early in your professional career? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure. I know my father was a very successful lawyer, but he seemed to be doing it from the purpose of making a difference, enjoying his work, finding the work successful. But I just always had a sense of making a contribution and really getting tied into that. One of the things probably, Matt, actually, if I think about it is, you know, I always did well, meaning I always found that I could work hard and money would come towards me, right? Like, you know, so you're right in terms of being a really hard worker. If you can work hard in society and do what you say you're going to do, you're going to do well. So I, I always felt like check, I could make some money. So if check, I can make some money, well then 
why don't do something I really love? And, and it never been a, somebody who really, again, wanted a lot of stuff, not that I drive a really fancy car or anything like that. So it was something, being really in love with what I was doing seemed like a really smart play. And let me be clear of my limitations here and state them up front. Uh, I'm by no means a psychologist. <laughs> and when I hear you speak, it seems like early in your life, you were able to draw upon a lot of internal, intrinsic motivation. You weren't externally motivated. So you, as you said, just eloquently now, you weren't drawn into the trappings of having to have a nice vehicle or have nice things. You weren't looking to externally represent your success, but really your idea of success came from within. To me, that would stand to reason where that sense of purpose probably comes from. Absolutely. Yes. Intrinsic motivation. Right. And I guess as well, like, I'm not sure if that many people at that young an age really have made a real contribution to people. Like if you think about working the normal, typical student job, right? So one of the things very early on I was doing was I was coaching young university students and having them make enormous strides in their lives. And they just like did so well. And they just love what they saw was possible for their life. And they saw, wow, if I could do this running a student painting company, look what I can do in the future. And that just so motivated me. And of course, at the same time, I was winning, I was making good money, but it just was so lightning, you know, just like lightning in a bottle. I just felt so excited. You know, and, and that resonates with me for a number of reasons. So our paths are different and yet they're similar. I remember growing up in Victoria, where for those who are familiar with the geography of Canada, you would understand the irony of this next statement, which is that I also found my way into jobs around the neighborhood. I remember one year in particular, Victoria had, I think it's biggest snowfall on record, which in Victoria's case is not a lot of snow, but compared to Ontario and other parts of Canada, but uh, we had our snowfall. And I remember being very eager to get out into the neighborhood with my snow shovel and make some extra money because people in Victoria were woefully unprepared to shovel their driveways and knew that we could, for a short period of time before the rain came, be able to make some additional, you know, pocket money to buy hockey cards and, you know, go to the movies with my friends and do all the things that kids want to do. And I was surprised when I found out that a lot of my friends just didn't simply have the same level of motivation. They wanted to enjoy the snow day. They wanted to go get their toboggans out and enjoy one of the few days we'd have throughout the year to really play in in this winter wonderland that would now surrounded us. And I knew then that I was a little bit wired differently than my friends. And I think that for me stems a lot from the way I was raised and this idea of being self-reliant and not, you know, having to count on other people to realize success for you, but that you would make it for yourself. And when you, I think about your background as an athlete and in particular, you know, I have friends who were swimmers and is swimming at its core, whether you're, even if you're in a team-based uh, dynamic, is still a, a very innately individual activity. It's you in the pool and you're challenging yourself to be better every single time you hop in that uh, the frame of reference. So uh, to me, it's not a big jump for you to then jump into this space of entrepreneurship and then ultimately working with people who are similarly wired to yourself. And then I think about the type of industry that you're operating in, where you're working you know, in the neighborhood, you're working with people, you're very much, you know, yes, you're providing a service, but you're building relationships and you're building relationships with people in a commercial context, which is for people in their forties is uncomfortable. 
but you're doing this as a young adult. I'm curious, what were some of the early lessons that you learned in going out and, and meeting with prospective clients and trying to get business and, you know, and trying to sell your services? You know, that must have been a really impactful period of time for you as a young entrepreneur. Yeah, it, it really was. And one of the things that really my sense of it was, you know, people were really overwhelmingly receptive. You went and knocked on their door and, hey, I'm living over here and looking to do some work. Could I help you? You know, like it's simple. The scripts got better, but people were overwhelmingly receptive. Uh, another thing is when things went wrong, as they will, and you just took ownership it was really easy to solve the problem. You know, you just work on the solution. And then finally, I, I really got just, you know, that when they wanted it done on Friday and that was important to them, get the work done on Friday. And because if you didn't, then that was going to be a concern for them. So it was, you know, in my mind, that just kind of worked pretty simply. It's just, okay, let's just arrange the schedule and just do that schedule. And, but later on, as I went through my life, I found that that was, a really, really important thing. And er early on, it just seemed like, okay, th this makes sense. And it, it really led to high customer service and high retention rate and some really great success. When you say it makes sense, and I agree with you, and from a logical perspective, it makes a lot of sense. And yet I can appreciate in just looking back on 20 years of my time in the corporate world and now the last couple as an entrepreneur, what makes sense doesn't always happen. And People are very willing to bend the service level agreements that they sign, that they're willing to bend their word at times. And I'm sure that as you have gone through your career, that you may have interacted with people within your organization that didn't have that same, you know, just fait accompli around, yeah, we make a commitment, we're going to fall through the commitment. Service is important. My word's important. I'm curious how your interactions were and how they've evolved during your time in this business in working with people that may not be wired like you, that may have the ambition and the drive and the interest, but when it comes to some of the more, you know, these integrity pieces, there may be some opportunities for growth. Well, I think that's incredible. And I think one of the big things that I've learned over time is a lot of times people, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's difficult to have conversations about integrity because people make it about right and wrong. And they make it about, Matt, you didn't do what you said. You should feel bad. And so instead, we make it about, Matt, you said you were going to do that, and you didn't do that. I made a commitment to do this, and I didn't. Okay. And so then let's go and find out what are the impacts of doing that, and then what are the impacts if we don't do that for this entire summer? What are the impacts if we don't do that for the rest of our lives? And we have people really get, wow, it makes sense, rather than feeling bad or rather than this situation, this customer didn't work out, but my life's not going to work unless I see it just as simply as my 18 year old self did. Mr. Heinzman wants his lawn cut on Friday, cut his lawn on Friday, but you know, see it as every time I put my word to something, I'm going to do it. And that, and again, as I've gotten wiser and wiser, more experience and more experience, seeing that that's really powerful and the higher and higher level of integrity to my word that I have my word world works better. So then with our young leaders, we work on that and we work on that integrity. And then we talk about ways that they can make that work. Because a lot of times people aren't true to their word, not because they don't care, not because they don't get it, but 
they don't have a good structure in their phone now to keep them reminded or, or different structures that can support them for doing it or reminders or maybe an accountability buddy to keep them reminded of their goals and their plans. So those are the things that we work on, but we work on them in a way, and we didn't do this 20 or 30 years ago, but we work on it in a way that we don't want them to feel bad. Because if they feel bad, they're going to have a hard time getting into action and getting better. And that's the whole point in life, in my mind, is just getting better. And you just touched on this, but I, I want to explore this a bit more detail because I'm really interested. You're in a unique position in that you've been in the same business for 28 years now. And I'm curious, in, if you look back at the last 28 years, what has stayed the same and what's different? And I'll ask it in two contexts. The first one is in the type of people that are drawn to this line of work from an entrepreneurial basis. And then from the other side of things, the customer or the market, if you will, what's the same and what's different? Oh, wow. Okay. So a bunch of things that are the same, like we paint homes. Now we paint homes and also clean windows. So we started a second service. Customers still want the same types of things. One big difference is clients are just so much harder to get a hold of. Like decades ago, you'd phone them in their home and the phone would ring. There was no answering service and people returned all their phone calls. So now getting a hold of people is just the trick. It's all about client conversion and getting into their appointment book to see the next appointment. I think, you know, in terms of customer service, I think everything is similar in terms of what they're expecting and on time, you, you know, uh, oh, oh, sorry, communication levels. Their expectation to return your phone call is super fast and understandably because, uh, hey, Matt, you know where my phone is right on my desk or right in my pocket. And that, that's what they know about other people. And that's what they expect. When I think of our students, one thing that regularly happens is older generations look down on the newest generation. That is what they do. And in my mind, no, in fact, what happens is newer generations stand on the shoulders of the older generations. And in fact, are better prepared in so many ways for the challenges of the upcoming decades. And they're better prepared in the universities. They're better prepared with coaching. Like there was no meditation. There was no podcast to listen to and online learning and all these different things, our organization is unbelievably better than where we were 30 years ago. And at the time, we were outstanding for the time, uh, not meaning to denigrate my old, uh, you know, where we were 30, 30 plus years ago. So those are some of the things that I see. And there's no question that there are challenges you know, with every generation, the impact of social media, the impact of constantly being bombarded by notifications and those things. But, you know, again, that's impacting young people. That's impacting me. I don't know about you, Matt. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I have to take a regular daily detox uh, from my phone because if I don't, it can quickly get out of hand. And that's even after spending time culling notifications and turning off beeps and all those different things. It, you're right. It, it's the level of personal, if you will, discipline around technology. We went very quickly, you know, even in the course of my life from, you know, technology not being readily available. So when I went to high school, we didn't have smartphones. Like I still would go home and talk to my friends on the phone in my house and we'd fight for the line with people in the household to talk to people. So I remember that. And then 
around the time at university, that's when smartphones started to become a thing. And then we all had now this, to your point, communication at our fingertips, the expectations changed around it and the benefits got much better because you had this level of autonomy and you could, you know, kind of have your own little world on your phone. And then, you know, as you said as well, the, the amount of information that now flows through to your phone. I mean, I remember back in the day, it was, you make phone calls and you could maybe take pictures and then you could send text messages and that was great. And now like your phone, there's more computing power in your smartphone than there was on the first spaceship. Like it's, it's a, you know, we've come a, such a long way in a short period of time, but to that point, the amount of interruptions, the amount of, um, you know, people nudging you at all days and hours, there's this now expectation that we're completely connected all of the time because everybody now has a smartphone. And at the same time, we've lost sight of the fact that I think as a culture, as a society, as individuals that, you know, we weren't really meant to live like this. We've created a situation that where this exists now, and it certainly has its benefits, but we weren't meant to be tethered to technology 24 seven on a persistent basis. So I appreciate what you're saying. You have your workforce that is dispersed, that is of a generation that is highly susceptible to trends and to peer groups and to, they're still trying to find their way in terms of who they are as people and who they are as adults and who they're going to be as professionals. And you're very much having to shepherd them in through that and have tough conversations where, you know, accountability may not have been something that has formed part of their life, whether it was in school or at home. And, you know, but when you bring things into a commercial context, there very much is an expectation around accountability, because to your point, when people are paying you for, for products or services, they generally want to see those services rendered. So I can appreciate that you're at the kind of the intersection of those tough conversations on a pretty consistent basis. Hey everyone, it's Matt here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we continue, I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Benji. The future of work is today. And Matt Parsons and the team at Benji have figured out a really cool hands-on learning solution that you need to be considering as you transition your organizational learning and team building and engagement online. Now, I spend several hours a day myself on video platforms. So whether it's Zoom or Skype or GoToMeeting, they're great. They allow me to interact with people and see them in all parts of the world. Though if you're like me, once those calls go on a bit too long, I start to get a little bit distracted. And it's not too long before I'm reaching for my smartphone or opening up another tab on my laptop. That doesn't happen with Benji. They have a catalog of interactive team exercises that makes it really easy for organizations and individual consultants to develop engaging solutions at any scale. And I'll be honest, I, I've been so impressed with the tool myself that we're actually looking at using Benji to power our virtual workshops with client-facing products. So I'm actually working right now with Matt one-on-one -on -one to develop a journey mapping exercise so we can take clients through the employee experience and illuminate thousands of dollars and hours of inefficiencies that organizations tend to have in their onboarding and hiring processes. It's a great tool. And because you are a listener of the Thinking Inside the Box podcast, you're going to get a special benefit as well. I've talked to Matt. He wants to give as many people as possible access to this tool so they can make online learning more engaging. And you can do so as well by using the discount code BENTO20. So if you log on to the Benji website, which is mybenji.com, and you're as impressed with the solution as I am, then enter the code in BENJI20 and you'll receive 20% off your purchase. And with that being said, we'll return back to regular programming. 
Yeah, and part of it is there's no question there's an economic thing and we want them to win, we want them to be successful, but we also want their life to work. So, you know, we find we're coaching accountability or integrity as much around what's your sleeping habits to make sure that you're getting enough sleep or when are you studying and, you know, are you turning off your phone when you study or what's your gym habit or when did you last call your mom or all sorts of different areas of their lives, you know, seeing their life again, 365, 24 seven to help provide value. And again, you know, there's no question that we also do that because we know if we get all those areas working, their business will work better right? Because again, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not going to the gym, if I'm not eating right, if I'm, you know, leaving my school or my other commitments, all of a sudden we're going to have a problem. So we, we try to see integrity in all the different areas, not just around the client satisfaction piece or acquiring clients. And again, I think even just, again, keeping our word, you know, both of us were early for the podcast. Like so often you'll find, I'm sure Matt, you do is, is that people don't come on time. And in my mind, like, you know, again, you have meetings and, and do people come on time for them? And, and ours, they do, or we ask them to restore their integrity so that they get clear about that there's an impact of not coming on time. And so then they start seeing that consistently and they can start becoming more and more reliable to show up. And then how people see them is as real leaders because they keep showing up on time and they keep doing what they say and they feel better and better about themselves. And then they can put more and more energy into other areas of their life to make them work really well. You said a number of really, I think, important things there. And I think the first one I just want to touch on, because you touched on this a couple of ways yourself, and I think it's important to say, integrity isn't a binary equation. And you've said this a few different ways, which I like, which is we sometimes make commitments that we can't follow through with. And it could be a function of things that we are within our control or outside of our control, but sometimes we don't realize our expectations. And that happens in our personal lives, as you mentioned, and in our professional lives. And I think integrity is the kind of a person who takes responsibility for that, owns that, and then owns the consequences or the remediation of the relationship or the services because they weren't able to meet the commitments. Integrity isn't shying away from that conversation, but approaching it head on. And in doing so, that is integrity. And that may mean that there's consequences or it may mean that there are not consequences. But we're in a society now where conflict aversion is becoming you know, I think more of a challenge and maybe it's the frame of reference that I'm looking through this world in, but we, to your point, there seems to be a relaxation of basic etiquette when it comes to arriving on time for things We're we are in this increasingly complex and noisy world. So there seems to be this like accepted, you know, like, well, you're just going to be late for meetings or like, you're just, you're just going to not show up for meetings. And that's a dangerous place to be in because I don't think that's acceptable. And I don't think that's standard that we should reduce ourselves to for a number of reasons. But I think that the greater point I wanted to make was, and I'm smiling. This is one of the limitations of doing an audio podcast is you can't see my facial expressions, but I'm smiling because a lot of the things you're talking about, Chris, are things that the corporate world, the, 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 the biggest businesses on the planet aspire to. And, and, I, and you, you do that in the way that's around this work-life integration piece. And for years, and I say this full disclosure, I mean, I, I sat in an executive role for many years in an organization where I advocated for this separation of work and life, church and state, right? Like you keep your work problems at work, you keep your home problems at home. Those two things really shouldn't collide, whether it's your personal brand, whether it's your time. And the reality is that over the course of the last 15 years in particular, 
we've seen an erosion of those two aspects of our lives. And I would suggest we've seen much more encrosion from work into our life than life into our work. We've, as organizations, have still been pretty insistent that your personal problems shouldn't manifest themselves in the workplace. And if they do, that you need to take responsibility for that. And we have some services for you, but really like keep your personal life out of work. However, we've been much more accepting of you know, some erosion into your personal life. And whether it's an email at Friday at 9 p.m. or Sunday morning at 10 a.m., whether it's, I know you're on vacation, Chris, but I have a really important question to ask you, so I'm going to call you. Like there's, there's become a relaxation around work encroaching on your personal life. And it's no surprise as a result that we've seen rising rates of burnout and, you know, of people with mental illness and anxiety, because we're now, there's an expectation that you have to always be on. And that frankly, in some cases has come at the expense of, to your earlier point, the whole self. And then I look at your organization and you're having conversations around going to the gym and getting the appropriate amount of sleep. It's topics that organizations have traditionally shied away from they've essentially abdicated authority from this type of a topic and said, you are the employee, you figure that out. And there are consequences if you don't, because you won't be able to show up at work in the same way, but we don't really want to play an active role in you achieving that outcome. It's such a refreshing to hear a leader of an organization take some sense of ownership over the overall wellness of their employees. Because to your earlier point, I mean, I mean I'll, I'll strip away all the mystique around this. You as an organization are incentivized to ensure that happens. Like it benefits your employees, it benefits your bottom line, it benefits your clients, full stop. But there's been this reticence in the traditional corporate world to have these conversations, believing that once they open that door, that... I don't know if it's a fear, Chris, of like, once you open the door, you can't close it again, that people are going to take advantage of these programs, that, you know, we don't have the resourcing to properly support and counsel people. We don't have the comfort or the confidence to be able to show up as leaders in a true coaching fashion. You know, I don't have the answer to that question. As you're talking, I'm I'm becoming painfully aware of the dissonance between how you run your business and how, in a lot of cases, you have practices that are aspirational for many of the most successful financial companies on the planet and what's happening inside those companies and just the stark difference between the two entities. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We are a coaching organization, you know, first and full stop. And I think coaching is one of the most important advantages you get in the world. And, and again, I came from a coaching experience around swimming and, and what a huge difference it was to have a great coach. And so one of the things is, is it you are right. I, I've never put myself in the shoes of an enormous company like Walmart or Home Depot or Morgan Stanley or name the enormous company about what stops them from doing what we're doing. But it seems to me like one of the full truths is who I am as a father, a brother, uh, a son, a leader at work, uh, you know, uh, a community leader are all the same, the same things I'm bringing. And what shows up in the gym this morning on the Peloton shows up at work. And to think that it doesn't is just misguided. So I would rather take and, and use all of our coaching 
capacity and wisdom to really, really make a difference. And there's no question we see it making a difference in people's lives. And then, of course, we also see see it showing up in our business. People are growing their wealth, you know, and saving money instead of spending it poorly. And they're sleeping at more appropriate times. I always, I always tell, uh, you're in Victoria, but I always tell our operators, well, you need to move to East Coast time for our young leaders, not staying up till, you know, two in the morning, go to sleep at 11, you know, just because if we want to get up early, that's how it's going to work. But we're going to jump into those conversations and they're going to win and we're going to win. And partly is to be able to have the conversations. Again, you have to have the conversations without moral superiority or we're right or anything like that, you know, so, you, so you've got to be able to have, have them discover what they want you know, is, is always the most important thing, right? Because, you know, again, they can always give you the answer. They're always smart enough to know the answer that you're looking for. What you really want them to get is, is to choose that answer. So I had an interesting experience this morning. I got up, crack of dawn. So I was on Eastern Standard Time myself this morning. I'll have you know, five o'clock start. And we had a conference where I was producing a virtual reality panel discussion for a conference that was going to take place in Turkey. And uh, really cool experience. I'm so blessed to have the business that I have where I get to do cool things like that. That I'm, I'm not just you know stamping a box repeatedly. So blessed in that sense. And the competition we had this morning was really around agile. Agile versus waterfall. And in, in a large enterprise context, there's been a massive shift over the last 20 years from this traditional siloed approach to business that is an, as a legacy from the industrial era where, Chris, you and I were measured in terms of our value based on the number of widgets that we produce at the end of the day. And we've now shifted into this knowledge-based economy. And I say shifted, we're, we're still shifting, but shifted to this knowledge-based economy where, and not to get too scientific about it, but when you are managing in a industrial construct, the carrot and stick analogy comes to mind because you either threaten people with job insecurity or consequences and make them work faster, or you incent them with bonuses and financial incentives and promotional opportunities to encourage them to work faster. But a lot of the motivation comes extraneously. It comes from outside of the individual. Your story from as far back as you've told it comes from within. It's this intrinsic motivation which is a much stronger and more powerful force because to your point, it is you've made the decision yourself, which means that you're bought in in a way that you will not be conditionally when someone else is pushing things on you. Uh, it has a stronger, has, a, has much more longevity in terms of sustainability because again, you're bought into it. And we're now in a knowledge-based economy where there's clear science around the connection between intrinsic motivation discretionary effort, that is the effort that you give beyond what is the basic requirement to keep your job, and performance. And that only comes with coaching. That only comes when you create a safe environment for self-expression, when you create an environment where, yes, there's accountabilities and there's expectations, but it's, it's solutions-oriented, and you move with on the assumption that everybody here wants to do a really, really good job, and things may get in the way, but that we can address those things when they come up. But otherwise, we give people kind of the freedom within a framework to really excel in that space. And I think that's such an important distinction to make nowadays is your organization seemingly is better positioned to have success as we move forward than you may have ever have been before because you've created 
a system, if you will, of people that are self-motivated, that are incenting themselves to have success and ultimately can operate autonomously without you having to call them every other hour and say, have you finished this job yet? What's going on here? I talked to this customer, like you've created this incredible system, but I also understand that that comes at a significant upfront investment. And you are investing the time in these individuals throughout the course of their career, as people did in you throughout the course of your career. It's this pay me now, pay me later conversation. And what I'm hearing you say consistently is that you're willing to, as a leader and as an organization, to make that investment upfront because you know you're going to realize the benefits over the long haul. Yeah. You know, and it's funny. One of the things I've enrolled our senior leadership team in, and by the way, they're also enrolled their future in, is, is that the things that they're working on now with their you know, student operators are things that are going to make an enormous difference in that student operator's life in a decade or two decades or three decades. I told you, um, Matt, that, that I have a goal of creating a thousand millionaires and it's not that I'm money motivated, uh, although money you know, properly used is a great thing, but it's about what it makes of people if they become a millionaire, what value gets created so that our, what we call them district managers or coaches and coaching those operators are actually playing the long game for them they're actually in the same way. They're actually playing the long game for themselves because, you know, clearly those district managers have been with us actually longer and are actually in our coaching environment even longer. And they're heading for enormous futures within our organization and eventually when they leave our organization so that I think they're seeing those same things so that, and at the same time, you know, if I'm on track to have a huge future as a leader, well, then what would be on track looking like that at 19 or at 20? You know, so those are also lined up with intrinsic personal goals, but also extrinsic. So the volume of my business that I want to run, the success that my team is going to have, the client satisfaction that I'm going to have. So it's also in the end, ultimately you, you show it on the field. It's great things that you're saying, Chris, but ultimately, how do you treat your kids? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your mom? How, how do you treat the people in your business? That's really where you see if this stuff's actually working, right? Just because it's, again, it's easy to say, it's way harder to do on a consistent basis. And I can imagine that as we are going to shortly turn the calendar to 2021, that like a lot of leaders and like a lot of businesses, 2020 has been a challenging one for you. Yes. And whether it's the economic recession that's global, whether it's this pandemic that we're all faced with, whether it's social unrest, there's been a lot of large factors that have shifted 2020. And I'm curious, one, from your words, how has 2020 been for you as a leader of a business? And what are some of the things that you're looking at for 2021 that may have shifted because of the last 12 months of experiences? So personally, as a leader, it has been really challenging for me. So I felt really pushed out of my comfort zone in a number of ways. Number one, I'm a real extrovert. So in looking to do the things that our health professionals have suggested, that's meant not as many social interactions. And that's really difficult for me because I am someone who is really social. So there's been an impact. All of our trainings, which I love to run and I get fed by the energy of a hundred plus people in a room, all those things have gone away and you know we've Zoomed them, et cetera. And 
So there's been a real impact. There's also a personal impact, but just all the negativity and the hardship that people are under. So that's what's been really challenging. And on the other hand, for me, anything, something is a challenge. I always look to say, hey, how is this happening for us? So for our business, what the pandemic's done is had us just raise the game. I've told people, Matt, there's no better place to spend in a pandemic that in the student works management program. Now, by the way, you could argue that, Matt, but, but that's what I've put down is that's our goal. That's, that's what we want. So we're going to help people with their mindset and their states, and then we're going to create things. So one thing that we did this year is we used to get very little business from Facebook, but when we were shut in, you know, a bunch of our creative students started to create all sorts of local online Facebook sites. And we got an additional two to $3 million worth of business from local Facebook sites. So in the future, that will always be part of the structure of our business. Last year, we weren't sure about how often we could meet in person. So we started having way more Zoom events, way more Zoom coaching, we, uh, get people more readily available. I've heard Zoom now talked about as a transportation device. It's like you and me from Victoria to, to I, I live two and a half hours north of Toronto. It's like, bang, we're just together in, rather than the hours and hours that it would take to travel together. So we're using these tools much better. We're, we're bringing our alumni to our candidates, to our operators as a training device that we wouldn't be able to, or, or not with the same ease that we're able to. So we've taken the pandemic and just try to make it happen for us and just trying to be the best organization we can. And there's been a lot of things that haven't gone right. We go to a uh, Mexico, we take our top performers to Cancun, Mexico every year. This past year, obviously couldn't do it. We're hoping that the vaccines are going to turn that around so that we can this coming year. But no matter what, we're just going to make the next available step. Okay, what can we do? This is happening. The government's saying this. Well, we want to follow the rules. Let's follow the rules. What can we do? Let's go do that. But there's no question it has just been really, really challenging to keep changing as things have changed. Well, in hearing you talk, Chris, I'm in no way surprised to hear that you guys have continued to have success despite the challenging circumstances. You know, having that mindset of accepting your present circumstances for what they are and then pivoting and trying to find the good in it and trying to find the opportunity in what's happened, even if it is a trying circumstance, is a mindset that as well, among all the other things that you've shared with us over the last 40 plus minutes, is another example of how you're equipping your organization and its leaders with the skills that they're going to inevitably take them into success going forward. And your, your goal of creating a thousand millionaires, I know is an easy you know, buzz line. And I know it extends far beyond the financial metrics in that when you're creating the sense of abundance and the sense of wealth, and you're, you're teaching people the tools around creation of wealth, that they're going to disseminate those throughout their own pockets. And you're creating a ripple effect, a butterfly effect in the local economies, the regional economies, the national and global economies that will undoubtedly have you know, significant lasting effects going forward. My final question for you, Chris, is, you know, I expect that at some point, probably not anytime soon, but at some point you're going to probably want to take a step back and look at what you've accomplished over the course of your career. What is a goal that you've set for yourself when you look back and say, okay, I, I'm going to turn this over. I'm going to spend more time doing other passions and pursuits. What's one lasting effect that you want to have that goes beyond the, if you will, that goal of a thousand millionaires. 
Yeah, so one of my thoughts is that I don't like the idea of retirement. I think, you know, basically retirement means to be put out of use. So my goal is to slide into home plate and sort of be dust. My hope is that we can find some sort of way that I can keep being the chairman of this business as the head coach roles becomes to sort of over the next number of decades or whatever. But to me, you know, Matt, it's always about each individual conversation being fully present being fully the contribution that you can be. So, you know, to me, the number one value in our business is relationships are everything, you know, so it's just relationships matter. That's the most important thing. So there's no economic milestone. There's no, well, then things will be there because it's just, then there'll be just another day or another hour or another moment to have another amazing conversation with someone or give them a hug or express my love or express what needs to be expressed in that moment to try to make a difference. And so that's what I'm going to hold myself to and just, you know, judge my life on the relationships I have and just continue to try to, like you said as well, that conflict avoidance thing. If there's something that needs to be dealt with, go deal with it, go deal with the repercussions of it, take ownership. And again, trying to have a really powerful, wonderful relationships. I respect that answer for a number of reasons. And at the same time, Chris, I'd love for you to take some time off during the holiday season and spend with your family. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'll take three weeks off. So we're taking three weeks off. The Great. kids are hanging out. So 100%. Yeah, I take a lot of time. Well, off. I hope you do enjoy that time away. And it's been a real enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time with me today. I want to wish you and your organization and its employees a ton of success in the months and years ahead. I'm confident you're going to have lots of it. And uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you. Matt, I feel likewise. I just got a great sense of you, this conversation, and I wish you the best and be well. Thank you. At Bento HR, we enable your HR strategy with custom HR technology procurement, implementations, and integrations to liberate your team from administration, enhance their productivity and experience, to position them at the center of your organization's transformation, where they belong. With experience as an HR executive myself, I have a real appreciation of the challenges facing today's HR leaders. The world is changing. Your industry is being disrupted. Your organization is transforming. And all the while, you're trying to do more with less. You're being asked to simultaneously model fiscal restraint while the expectations of your departments are only increasing. At Bento HR, we can support you at every stage of your transformation. From architecting the strategy to developing and selling the business case internally, we support procurement, implementations, and ongoing sustainment. And we tie it all together with a deep knowledge of the HR profession. And over six decades of combined experiences from our founding team, who has worked in or supported large HR organizations across multiple industries, including, but not limited to, financial services, technology, retail, transportation, and healthcare. Check out Bento HR today to build your very own Bento box, which doubles as your business case for transformation. Leveraging recent research into the upside of digital automation inside organizations, and with your help in answering a few simple questions related to your organization, our Bento builder will provide a directional business case for change. So log on to www.bentohr.com and build your Bento box today.